So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. It's Friday morning, looking forward to the weekend. Actually, it's Friday afternoon at this point, and uh, I've got my good friend, very accomplished hunter, uh, Tony Treach, on the other line in uh, the great state of Michigan. What's what's happening, man? How's the weather? <laughs> <laughs> Cold as hell. Uh, 25 degrees, 25 mile an hour wind, and uh, I'm very happy to be indoors recording the podcast instead of outside with my tool bags on for the rest of the day. Yeah, I bet. I, um, I think, uh, here it was like negative 35, not too long ago. I put, it's probably like 10 degrees here now, but no wind. So thank, thank goodness. Um, not horrible. So. Yeah. No wind is, wind is a killer for us. Um, and it's so humid, even during the winter here, cutting the water, the wind comes off like Michigan and it beats us down. So I'm happy, happy to have work and, uh, actually, actually finding employees lately, like there's actually someone, someone must be getting slow in the home building business because, uh, I went from getting no people responding to my help wanted ads to, I've actually hired two new guys, uh, since I've been home for hunting and, uh, still getting access to look through. So it's good. That's good. Well, you, um, for th- those who don't know, um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you do? Sure. How often you hunt since I know how much you hunt and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you had a hell of a season too. talk about that, but yeah, tell everybody kind of what you're all about. Uh, so I'm a, uh, self-employed carpenter, uh, had some employees to help me out while I'm gone, but basically I built my, my life, my business around, uh, being able to take time off when I want to. And, uh, I, I, don't work for homeowners. I work for other builders who need property labor. So my guys fill in with their guys. And when I'm gone, it, things just keep right on moving. Um, I've been, uh, going out West. What well, started, started when I was in my mid twenties and I started traveling the Midwest and I'd go to Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, uh, eventually Kansas. And I would just sleep in farmer's barns. I had permission at a bunch of different places and I'd take the whole month of November off and kill as many white tails as I could. Eventually, moving to Kansas, I started seeing mule deer and got the bug to go out west. First year, uh, went to Montana on a general tag, killed a bull, went to Colorado, killed a bull and a buck up high in velvet. And it's like, this is fantastic. Why haven't I been doing this my whole life? And I think that's that's probably about the time that, that you and I got, uh, or, you know, we, we first talked because I had another company's backpack and hauling that buck out uh hole one trip in it about killed me and uh that was the last season i had a different backpack on and uh yeah so the uh i spend a lot of time out west uh it's uh i usually leave home late july depending on tags when i draw and then i'll uh, or pick up landowner vouchers whatever and uh i basically pack up the truck and trailer for the entire fall and I'll leave home and, you know, like I said, late, late July, early August, I depend on the tag. And then, uh, I like to get early to each hunt just to scout a little bit, but then I just bounce from state to state and tag to tag. And I don't, uh, don't typically make it home until, uh, 
usually mid-October, uh, depending on what I've drawn for tags, and then be home for a couple weeks, process with elk and deer, and then jump back in the truck and head to uh, the Plains States for uh, late archery and maybe a rifle hunt if I can squeeze one in. And So I end up spending low end three months a year on the road, living out of a tent or a truck hunting, uh, or high end uh, for the four and a half months which I think if I do that again, I might be divorced. Um, but, uh, and that's another thing too. And most of this has happened, you know, and developed when I was a single man. Uh, I didn't get married until I was 45. Uh, met a wonderful woman and vetted her out for three seasons before I, uh, put a ring on it. And so far so good. Uh, she still hasn't changed her mind about letting me, uh, do what I do, but, uh, Definitely not as easy when when they, when there's someone else you got to worry about, but uh, but no kids as well, which makes makes it a lot easier for me to, to do what I do. But yeah, I'm getting pickier and pickier as I get older. Um, you know, I hate the word trophy hunting, whatever, but uh, I'm pretty fussy about what I want to bring home. I don't don't just shoot for, for numbers. And that's probably a, the biggest difference between you and I, Aaron, is uh, uh, I you know. I'm not uh, the blackout and everything. All my arrows are gone and there's dead stuff laying around type of guy. I'm pretty, pretty choosy and picky. <laughs> yeah. I, that is definitely not, not me so much. Um, but you're, you know, you're very successful. Um, probably one of the more, uh, I mean, you're known, right. I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from that, but not, not definitely not known as well as you, you know, should be. And you know, the, 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 I don't know, whatever we won't call it trophy hunting, obviously just being picky or looking for older, age class, larger animals, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to, you know, to do it, you know, year in and year out successfully. And you've had, Oh, I'm trying to think you did. So you've got some videos, things like that, but you, I mean, kind of give a list of, I mean, I know what you've, you know, put on the ground or whatever, so a list of some of the, you know, bigger animals, oh older age class, top 10 type things. Um, you know, you've a whitetail and, and, uh, you know, West obviously out the elk, mule deer, things like that. Uh, you know, I, I really, I don't, I, I haven't really counted out, counted up and it's, I, I got rough numbers, I guess, but, um, you know, there's that when you, when you first kill, I still remember the first like 140 inch white tail I killed. And I thought this is the biggest thing I'm ever going to kill in my whole life. But I can't, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't have gotten to the tax as fast enough. It's like, Oh my God, this is going to, I know where I'm going to put it. I'm so excited. And, gonna, and then you get another one and you get another one. And then pretty soon you get, you know, I don't know how many white tail mounts I have in the house. My wife would tell you way too many, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't texture anything anymore. I haven't in probably seven years, uh, everything's yours, but I probably have, I don't know, 30 to 45, uh, yeah, between 30 and 45 white tails, uh, that, that are all between the old 140 to, uh, close to 190. Um, uh, mule deer probably, don't have many of them mounted, but I got a couple, but I don't know. I've probably killed 15 nuclear bucks in the last, uh, uh, about 10 years, probably getting close to 10 years. I think it's about eight years actually. Maybe that was, maybe that was the ninth or eighth, eighth or ninth season, whatever, uh, that I've been going out West. Um, you know, there the upper, the upper end is, you know, just over two ten. Uh, I got to get one buck, like two eleven. Um, you know, and I try to, and I'm not, I don't chase numbers. Like, I mean, I'm just, looking for a cool buck. I mean, if it's not, I've got lots of bucks that don't score with a crap, but they're, you know, got Coke can bases and you know, or that really got, Oh, I'm a sucker for brow points, man. I've, 
well, it's fucking this year in Kansas. I mean, that he's, you know, we chased him last year. I tried to get Blake, get Blake out him last year. Um, didn't get him killed. He was 180 inch deer last year. And this year the drought just shriveled him up. You know, his brow pup points are like eight, nine inches long. And, and then he's always real thick. And then after that, just kind of pittered out. He didn't really finish off very well with no moisture, but, uh, but cool stuff like that gets me going. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really chase the numbers. I've never entered an animal into Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett. Um, but there's probably, I don't know, I guess a total, uh, between white tail and mule deer, I bet there's probably, I've even asked this before. Uh, there's gotta be at least 20 that would grow Spoon and Crockett. Uh, it might be maybe upwards of 30. I don't know. I really, I haven't really decided. I don't, I don't really pay attention. I just, you know, if it's cool, if it trips my trigger, I'll kill it. And if, you know, it's some, something someone taught me a long time ago is like, if you have a second of doubt when you're looking at that deer, don't do it. Like it's not going to meet your standards. And so I've, I kind of live by that. And, um, as far as elk go, uh, I think in the last eight years, I think I've taken 14 now. Um, with the biggest being, uh, my bull from last year that, uh, from Nevada, uh, just almost 385. Um, but all, all but one, my first, my first bull was a little four by four and, uh, but all the one or all, all but him, I've been, uh, herd bulls or at least, you know, mature six bys. And, uh, yeah, I'm getting, so I'm getting fussier and fussier every year. Like I, I passed up bulls this year that I, I mean, even just a couple years ago, I'd have been tickled with, but it's just, you know, I, the experience being on the road and, and, you know, living out of a tent and just, you know, it's like a giant game of hide and seek and, uh, the game, the game and the scouting is, is where it's at. I mean, the killing part is, I mean, I mean, sure it's the goal and everything. And when you're on the last day of a 25 day hunt, like I was this year in Nevada and you finally pull it off in the last day, believe me, the kill is pretty freaking important, but, uh, it's, it is, it is more, more than that. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. There's probably nothing worse than spending all that time up there and not finding or, or being able to uh, put down what you are looking for. But uh, basically, my, my I mean, I, I'm a home builder, so I've got a big house that I play. You know, I built it to sell it later on. You know, live in it a few years, sell it type thing. And it is full of animals right now. Like in my office, uh, my wife's having friends overnight, so I. I kind of have to shuffle some stuff around and stick some heads away. And there are, I don't know how many heads on the wall in my office, but now they're starting to take space up on the floor. There's two bull elk just in laying them on, you know, it's all tangled up in front of my, my uh, desk in my office. Uh, there's, it's like, it's like if, I, if I stumbled in there at night, uh, sleepwalking and tripped, uh, oh I might not make it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to die. I'm going to poke an eye out at least. Uh, she keeps telling me I need a barn and, uh, she's, she's not wrong. I need, I'm to the point now where, um, I mean, I, I, I actually gave a couple of, uh, smaller racks away to some family members that wanted, uh, they're like, Oh, we just want a, an elf to put on, you know, in front of our pole barn. I'm like, sweet. Here's a, here's a euro. I've had it. And, uh, I've, been, I've got a buddy that, that owns a, uh, like a burger joint in town here where I live. And, got some old super old taxidermy in there i'm gonna offer them up a couple of skulls and some racks try to make some space but um yeah if nothing if for, if for no other reason i gotta start being picky just because i got nowhere to put them 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's a good problem to have. Well, on, on that note, like with, uh, you know, obviously successful and, and, uh, you know, big animals, uh, you know, traveling around a lot of different environments and, uh, you know, with all the hubbub of, um, bow setups and arrow setups and broadheads and, you know, people get, you know, probably overcomplicate things a little bit. Um, what, what's your, what's your setup? I, you and I, well, I don't want to pimp Dan Evans, uh, tires up too much yet. So we'll get to that part of it here in a minute. Um, just cause you and I use a lot of his stuff, but your arrow setup, poundage, um, speed, mm-hmm. things like that. Broadhead. Yep. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I've played with mechanicals when the Omer Edge came out. I, I, I loved it. I killed uh, a handful of bulls with it and lots of bucks. But I also, uh, I also stuck a big, big whitetail, like would have been my biggest whitetail to date still. Uh, Cause I did get him in the rifle after, after I wounded him and killed him. And he was, he was, over 200 broken. Um, and, but I stuck him right in the shoulder blade and it didn't go through. And it was the next year. And that's about the time when Iron Will came out and I jumped on board with that. I'm definitely a, a solid or a, a fixed blade fan. Uh, uh, love the Iron Wills. Uh, I'm a Hoyt guy. Uh, I've actually got family that works with Matthews, uh, you know, at Matthews. And we used to, I grew up shooting Matthews because we just get, uh, the older demo bows that they took a, took to all the shows and um, you know I just pay a couple hundred bucks for one of those and that was a pretty sweet deal and but then you know you, you know you get you, you try new things when Elite first came out I bought you know and they had the GT five hundred the Z twenty eight I bought those and loved them except for they just weren't durable and I I mean I literally was you know I shot two light of an arrow one time and actually crushed my cams and that was when I started looking around. I was like, I want a bow that's durable. I just don't want to, like, I don't want to have to worry about, uh, you know, if I, if I happen to shoot it, you know, an arrow that's, you know, it's pushing the limits on the low side, which I don't do anymore, but you know, it's not going to fold like a taco. And that's when I, I someone pointed me to Hoyt and I've beat the crap out of those bows every single year since. And, if for no other reason, not, no, not performance, not feel, not speed, nothing, they're durable as I'll get out. And I, you know, I've, I don't know how many times I've fell and slid down a mountain and just banged and dinged my cams up and they just, they keep working. They keep, they keep killing. So I'm a big Hoyt fan for that reason. Save my butt a lot of times. And, uh, you know, depending on what model I'm shooting, I'll, I'll build my arrows to get me to a, a specific speed. Uh, something between 275 and 285. Um, I'm actually pushing a little bit faster than that right now. I'm, I'm again high 80s, 280s, uh, which is weird because I, you know, it's it's with uh, the new the newer Hoyts when they came out with this new cam system and got away from the cam and a half. I I went away from the turbos, which I'd always used. Um, uh, just you know, I don't mind the extra, or I should say, lack of valley that the turbos have, uh, and I. I'd take that extra little bit of performance and just up my total arrow weight just for a good thump and arrow. But these newer, this newer cam system, I'm actually, I'm actually getting even more speed just because they finally put the 29 inch draw module at the, at the last position of a cam instead of in the middle. And that makes a huge difference in the performance of the cam, not being uh, in the middle slot. But uh, I think I've got a 465 or 467 green arrow Going about 287 or 289, something like that. Um, uh, the uh, you know love that 
Easton, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of different uh, arrows. I am a four millimeter fan. I know you're, you're not, uh, but I have had great luck with them. Um, starting back way back when the injections first came out. And then I've, I've tried victories. I've tried uh, gold tips I'm back. I'm back now to Easton. And then for a few years, uh, that new four millimeter uh, long range they've got is, well, it's, it's not the uh, it's not the four millimeter. It's the components. I really like micros. Oh, I, I don't like the components. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know that's funny you say that because uh, I just had a conversation with Bill uh, at Iron Will the other day, and I'm actually gonna I think I'm gonna write an article uh, for Rockslide about just about his components because um, other than the ibex that I took a shot at uh, this year and smashed a, an arrow at you know just that 50 yards just ran into a flat vertical rock face. And that, you know, obviously that arrow didn't live. I think that's the only arrow that I've broke since I switched to using his collars, just the collar. I've been using his inserts, uh, since he's been making them. Uh, and I was using, uh, a homemade version. I, I can't say where it came from, but someone, there was someone out there with a uh, machine shop making deep six, uh, break off weight, inserts that went to 125 grains long before iron will uh made them but uh they weren't for sale he couldn't sell them because of copyrights whatever but uh i've been using that that uh deep fix insert that's you know a little bit heavier for a long time but once i switched to his uh iron will's collars i I haven't i haven't broke or mushroomed uh the end of a shaft since and that one thing is you know don't get me wrong i'm still losing arrows i'm just when I do find them, or, you know, they're not broken anymore. And no, so no, it I, might seem like a pretty simple thing, but it's no, important it's, it's covering important. the end of that carbon. It, it is, especially on those. And that's when I, when I'd worked with uh, Bill on the, the Snyder core, which was, you know, kind of a remedy for me for, for micros was the, you know, obviously the collar and, uh, you know, gluing in the, I'm a big fan of gluing in the, the broadhead. I do, I do like that. Um, as, as, especially on micros, but, uh, you know, Bill makes, you, you can't really get any better than what, you know, Bill offers as far as that goes. Um, you know, there, you know, there's all kind of, you know, shit talking and every, I, I get it. Right. I understand it's expensive or, you know, whatever, <laughs> but it, 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 it is, um, you know, and obviously on my end, like I shoot all kinds of shit. Um, I'm more of a mechanical guy with a compound, but you know, when I'm setting bows up for P I mean, a mechanical does not work for for everyone um you know my setup's a little bit different uh compared to some but like amy shoots iron wheels uh she'll shoot mechanicals at turkeys my wife but um that doesn't have anything to do with the broadhead that's just because turkeys are hard to kill and i really want a giant hole in them and i don't want them to fly away but uh mm-hmm. can't really she shot a out dad in the ass not on purpose with an iron wheel wide and uh <laughs> 48 pounds and like a whopping, you know, 398 or 410 grain arrow buried it through the ass cheek up into the stomach, hit the liver on an outdad, you know, after mm. an animal. And, wow. uh, that was with an iron wheel wide vented. And, uh, you know, she, when she shot, she hit, you know, for me, I mean, cause I'm, I'm, uh, as you know, right. When, when someone less experienced shoots something and you're with them, you pretty much already know, from impact, what's going to happen, probably where it's going to go, probably, you know what I mean? How long it's yep. going to take to expire. When she hit that, I was like, fuck, that was not a femoral. Yep. Like she didn't, she didn't hit the good spot back there. And I, then I saw the, the, the vein stick out and I'm like, 
there's no way. And she was shooting a two, four, six, right? She was not shooting a skinny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm like, no way. And I dropped to a knee and she's like, Oh my God, I, whatever. I'm like, don't worry. I think we're good. She's like, I hit it in the ass. And I'm like, I think you hit the liver. And you know, for her shit, how the fuck I hit the liver if I hit it. And I'm like, look, you buried it up into it. I, and I'm looking Yeah. and I, so I very impressive. Right. And that was with a wide. And so I mean, I think, you know, people get kind of wrapped up and a lot of things maybe they, they shouldn't uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And 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 with the poundage that I'm shooting and that when the way to arrow, I could shoot a, a mechanical, no problem. Um, but, you know, there's there's certain spots on, a, on an animal that you hit with a fixed blade, you're still, you're, you know, that maybe it's not going through, maybe it is, just depends on how solid, you know, you, you center that, that bone, but... Um, but there, like I said, it was just an experience I had. It was a monster buck that, uh, yeah, I got, uh, I still get yeah, sick feeling just thinking about it and walking away. But, well, uh, let's, no, let's, uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's, uh, let's dive into that because everyone, <laughs> not necessarily that deer, but that experience, right. Is, you know, you yeah. like the military, they base their next war off the last one and their next war may not be the same. You, you, you know, the first time you hike into the back country, you carry too much crap that next time you probably won't have enough. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you shoot a mechanical or a fixed and something bad happens then you immediately go to the other. It's what you're most comfortable with. Right. And so like, yep. like, like people will message me. I shot a, I don't know, whatever. Let's we'll, we'll pick on iron will and we'll pick on sever or pick on sever and iron will shot a sever, uh, you know, didn't did you know, hit the scapula, didn't get penetration. I'm like, all right, well don't aim at the scapula, but I get it. Okay. I, I shot a <laughs> iron will, which would have been better in the scap, like without a doubt, not no argument, sure. you know, hit one back and I, I, I had no blood. I, you know, I didn't, I, well, the hole plugged up, you don't have that big of a hole, Well, bigger hole might've been better you're going to have to choose what makes you warm and fuzzy with those like Tony or myself can only give you advice. Or I just had Mark Smith on killed a bunch of different stuff, right? Like you, you can't, um, I can only give you my advice. And if I give it to you and something happens and you're like, Hey, this happened, whatever. It's like, well, we'll do what you feel is right. Don't fucking listen to me. Like they're working for me. And, and I would have guys, you don't need to shoot an iron will, whatever. And I'm like, no, you, you don't, you don't have to. It also doesn't hurt my feelings to have it. And and certainly on a high end hunt, you know, you want to shoot the best, you know, when you go out West, you know, you don't have to have, you know, iron will severs, whatever is your first three, um, you know, broadheads or, or well, and I say severs that are not expensive, but you can have, or you don't have to have them all five or all six in the quiver. You can have your first three as an iron will. If you're a fixed blade guy, have the next couple yep. the same grain that may not be quite as expensive, but you do want to launch that first arrow at a you know three fifty bolt screaming at you. You you probably want to have the best, the best you can afford. That's <laughs> yeah. what I try to explain to people, right? Because when you have a bad yep. situation, you don't want to be walking back to the truck thinking, "Jesus, an extra twenty bucks on the end of that arrow would have probably helped mm-hmm. me or something," you know. Oh, that's a terrible feeling. <laughs> yeah, at that point, it doesn't matter if it was two hundred dollars ahead. You'd be thinking, I, I, you know would have paid anything for that bull to, you know, die in my sight. So, so the situation that happened to me that, that made me really made me rethink my, my, my broadheads and why was, was that big Kansas buck. And, you know, 
a quick story on him. I, I, I spotted him uh, the evening before I actually got a stock. I was actually on the phone with my girlfriend then at the time, and I think I basically just hung up on her, um, which, whatever, it probably should have been a sign. But, uh, <laughs> so the next morning, I was in the same spot looking for him because he disappeared from sorghum that was, wasn't bailed up yet. You know, that stuff's like 10 foot tall, and he just kind of went in. And, but, I mean, I, I got a perfect silhouette walking away. I'm like, holy crap, he's got two little droppers. He's big and plated. He's... You know, it's just amazing. This is the type of whitetail that, you know, I mean, anybody, I mean, it, it was 200 plus buck with, with character and kickers and I said two little droppers about two inches long. And the next morning I'm in that spot, I uh, found another big buck, but not him. Uh, like probably, I figured he was probably 170, 175. Uh, watched him for a while, then all of a sudden, just luck, just crazy luck. I saw that bigger buck you know, way away, you know, and I'm, I don't think I even had the tripod with me, uh, cause I was actually ma- making a move on that other buck, uh, sneaking through some, some grass and, you know, maybe a mile away, mile and a half. I see this big frame running another buck off. I'm like, all right, I know where he's at. He's in that grass over there. It's an actual wasn't gra- tall grass. It was, uh, oh, it's this weedy field that they had left for two years and hadn't done anything with. And I guess they grow all those little, uh, miniature sunflowers, weeds, you know, so it's, perfect bedding for me it's like four foot tall three foot tall and you know, once that stuff dries it's louder than a firecracker to try to walk through there so you got to have wind but anyways i knew where he, I knew roughly where he was so i backed out cruised over there parked started walking in and what saved me what would allow me to get close was that little teeny buck he kept chasing off because they disappear and then all of a sudden you know you'd see that little buck walking along and all of a sudden he'd take off after him and the big buck would stand up and chase him off so i I start moving in and it, you know, this probably got a 20 mile, mile an hour wind, which saved me uh, or allowed me to get in there. And I got to the point where, you know, the little buck actually came up to me wondering what the heck I was. And this is before I was using decoys. Um, I hadn't, I did not have a decoy with me and the little buck basically walked almost point blank before he realized what I was, took off. Big buck didn't even hear him as though I, I never even saw the doe until, until I shot the, the, the larger buck. But, I got, you know, I was, quarter, I was quartering to him, so I wasn't straight downwind. He had, you know, I could see his, it was one of those t- situations where I'm standing up at this point. Like, he's, he's laying down, and I know that little buck's not coming back. He's I've blown him out, so he, he has no reason to stand up. And if he does, I can drop down, hopefully quick enough. Um, but it's tall enough and it's thick enough. I, I can barely make out his frame and his white rack uh, with my naked eye. But you pull up the binoculars and you can start to see pieces. You can tell which way he's facing. And I just kept moving in slowly, slowly, as, as fast as I could to, and not make noise, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm making noise. It's just the wind saving my ass. And I got to 15 yards and I've got no shot. And I, I'm thinking, I'm standing there thinking, even if he stands up, you know, if, if I hunker down on my knees and wait, I'm not going to have a shot. I'm going to have to stand here. And I, and I still don't know, even when he stands up, if, if you know, I think, I think his vitals are going to be covered with this brush or this, this, these weeds. So I basically drew at 15 yards and walked at him and I made it two steps and he jumped up and I had to pin on him and released. And I mean, just center punched the top part of the leg bone before it, you know, uh, turns into the scapula. And, you know, basically I was aiming low heart. That's what I've grown up doing here in Michigan. You know, our deer are so cracked out that if you don't, I mean, every one of them is going to drop 10 inches when you shoot. So I aim, I aim low heart at all white hills. And I was just three inches, you know, to the, too far forward. 
and instantly he whirls and Joe, the does take, his doe takes off and it stays in the weeds, runs about 200 yards away and just stands there. He, you know, I dropped my knees, loading our arrow. He, he whirls and, and heads the other direction. He stops at 70 yards. Well, now he's, you know, he's crosswind, but the other way I can see a red spot right in his shoulder. And this is where like a psychologist could probably explain why this happens. But for some reason, if you put a bale of hay out there and you put one little orange dot and, and tell me, or any archer hit left of that orange dot, you know, it, your eye just naturally goes to that spot. And I, I, I remember drawing, given compensating about eight inches per wind shooting. And I swear to God, I watched that arrow fail and curve right directly into the same exact spot. I just shot him. So now I've got, I hit him twice in the same spot in the shoulder. This arrow is the first arrow later after retrieving it. I got like, two inches of penetration, maybe, uh, basically it snapped off right at the insert and there was hardly any blood on the shaft. Uh, the second arrow I got maybe three inches. So I broke through, but it wasn't enough. So he just takes off like a bat out of hell back into the weeds that I'm in over to the doe. He gets to her, he lays down I'm like son of a bitch. I might've got through that shoulder. That's the second shot, but I mean, it hit the same exact spot. So I, I just hung her down and wait. Pretty soon, the doe hasn't laid down yet, and he laid down next to her. I'm like, that's good. Well, she, she's watched the whole thing. At this point, she's like, I'm not sticking around. So she takes off, runs onto the joining property uh, that I th- have to later get permission to, to go track him on. And he stands up. I'm like, oh, no, just lay down, buddy. Stay there. But no, he chased her. He followed her. And he basically, at that, by this point, that leg is up, and he's just tripoding it. So he... You know, he's, he's super easy to track now, even if he's not bleeding, because every single time he pounces uh, on that front leg, he's, you know, you got a 300 pound deer with only one leg carrying all of his weight. He's making a very, you know, his back two tracks are walking and his front one looks like it's running. So I watched him jump a fence and disappear in the neighbor's property. I wouldn't get permission by Tim was dark, watched and see anything. Next morning, tracked him across there after I get permission. And I mean, I, it's almost noon and I, you know, I'm basically walking back to the truck. It's like, well, I lost him. I can't, I, you know, I've, I, I lost his blood. I lost his track in the grass. It's just basically CRP or not CRP, but I mean, uh, pasture ground, you know, and I'm walking back to where I shot him and entering those weeds. And, it, and all of a sudden I can see that track. He had doubled back sometime in the night and was back in those, in those weeds. And I hadn't, he, I hadn't seen him at daylight because I, I, I glassed from a, a spot that I could see it uh, for the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes and never saw him. But I found his track going right into those weeds. And, you know, he, he had probably stopped bleeding sometime, you know, shortly after I shot him because it just didn't do a whole lot of damage. But I made it, you know, as soon as I got in the weeds, basically, it was a super cold morning. All those weeds had frost on them. And you could tell as soon as his leg rubbed, you know, probably had dried blood running down his leg. As soon as that blood hit those weeds with frost on it, it would, you had pink, pink frost. It was actually like moistening that dry blood on his leg. And it's like, son of a bitch, I got a blood trail now. And I started moving and I'm moving fast. And just about that time you think, all right, I've just covered 30 yards of these weeds. I'm getting all excited because I'm following this blood, but I haven't looked up in 30 yards. And I mean, I look up and there he is 15, 20 yards away. All you can see, and again, he's laying down, but he's facing right at me. I can, I can see that wreck, just a silhouette, like, oh, my God. He's, he's, he knows something's walking down this trail. And I didn't move, and he didn't move. And, I mean, I don't know how long it was, 30 minutes, 25 minutes. I mean, he did not turn. Finally, he turned his head, 
facing downwind and, uh, you know, I'm probably about 90 degrees quartering off to the side and I'm like, I'm going to get another shot. But it was the same exact scenario. I'm already well within range. I'm way too close, but I've got no shot even if he stands up. So I did the same thing. Like I, I, what other choice do I have? Uh, I drew, I started walking at him and he probably let me get half the distance. I mean, I was literally like, you know, sub 15 yards, probably closer to 10 when he stood up and same exact scenario with this time, he matrixed out of it. I mean, and it, he whirled and it just barely just cut a, you know, hair on, on the front of his chest. And then I watched him run through the little three legged hop run, uh, onto a, you know, probably a half mile across the road onto another property. I, I can hunt, um, actually back to where I was, I'd seen him the first evening and he disappeared, went over there. Um, and just started gritting it. It's basically super tall grass. You know, you'd have grass that's CRP that's like three foot tall, then it go down to six inches and three, and it's just back and forth, and they love to bet out there. And he, it probably took me an hour to get to him, to find him, but he almost let me step on him. And, you know, he jumps up, runs out to 150 yards, stands there and looks looks at, looks back at me like, this this has got to stop. Like, I, I'm really, I don't enjoy you, uh, you know, bothering me while I'm sleeping type thing. And, he hobbles off back into that same sorghum, uh, 10 foot tall, tall sorghum and he just disappeared. I'm like, all right, well, there's a perfect spot. That's about a, you know, when you say a glassy knob in Kansas, you, you got to kind of, you know, use like little finger quotes because it's maybe about six feet taller than everything else around it. And that's a glassy knob, but it's right next to that sorghum. So I literally parked up there and I remember I was on the phone, uh, when I saw, you know, it was probably an hour before dark, maybe two hours before dark. And I just saw this big frame buck. Um, I'm probably 400 yards away, but he comes out of that corner of that sorghum. I'm like, there he is. And he's headed towards uh, a little a little bottom area that has a dry creek bed. There's some old cars down there. There's some old cottonwoods. Some of them are, you know, they're big around enough. Three guys couldn't reach around it together. Some of them are dead and on the ground. It's just awesome terrain, bedding cover, you know, in an area full of flattened grass. It's like, it's, it's, it's their it's shelter. It's wonderful. And there's already, you know, I've already been watching. There's a couple little bucks down there chasing a couple of does. It's almost like a little rut fest, but there was only a couple of small bucks down there. So, but he must've got wind of this, and, you know, it's upwind of him and he's coming out of that sorghum. And I basically didn't give him any time. Like basically, you know, I saw that buck coming out of there. I'm like, I know where he's headed, jumped on the truck. I didn't even close the door. I'd find out later in my truck. I just grabbed my rangefinder and, uh, my binoculars, my bow release, and I took off. So basically that little six foot tall finger that I was on continues down parallels to that, those cottonwoods. And I got on the opposite side of it and I'm like, I'm going to cut them off and I, I'm going to get down there before he does. There's a bunch of uh, yuccas and some uh, other stuff that I can crawl in there and get, get right in his path. And I just sprinted down there, got to the point where I could see over past the end of his finger as it pittered out. And I looked down to that little rut fest where that little bucks were chasing the does earlier. And there's a big buck already. And I'm like, son of a bitch, he already got in there. And there's nothing between me and there. I got to cover like a hundred yards, 200, maybe, maybe 200 yards. And there's nothing. It's cut uh, Milo stubble. I mean, it's, it's 10 inches tall. And I'm like, screw it. I waited till the bigger buck was at the far end of you know all those cottonwoods. There's still a doe and a spike or a little forky that watched me run across that and they didn't move. They just stood there like watching me like, what are you doing? You aren't supposed to be here. And I got tucked in behind a little brush pile. And about five minutes later, that big buck was pushing that doe just came around and I heart shot him at 35 yards. He runs 20 yards and tips over. And I walk up to him and 
it's not the big buck. It's it's still a big buck. It was that one seventy five buck that I'd seen the the second morning uh, chasing that bigger one. So I still to this day don't know if if uh, that bigger one if, if it was him coming out of the sorghum or if it was this buck coming out of the sorghum. Maybe he was working his way down there and he actually you know I got up there saw the other buck. Maybe he was in there the whole time laying down and he watched me run down in there and you know and he just turned around went back and sorghum. I don't know. I know they killed him in the rifle season. Uh, he was a giant and I, you know, I, I, and, and they even said like, they couldn't even tell he was injured until, uh, they, you know, cut him open and open up that leg. But after that, I was like, you know, I, I, I need to be able to get to that bone. And I started looking at different, different, uh, different head options. And yeah, luckily that's about the same time Iron Will came out. So, and so, I relive that buck all the time. I think about that one. thing. <laughs> painful every time i'm sure mm-hmm. yeah so so what is your arrow setup like what uh, what arrow are you you know you said four, four millimeter but like what's your what's your arrow weight what fletchings stuff like that uh i'm currently running the eastern four millimeter uh long range axis with uh iron wheels uh collar and insert i think a total total arrow weight is 465 or 467 and i think i've got i just had the standard eastern uh uh deep six knock in the back with uh i'm actually running a three fletch right now i've got a wrap and a three fletch uh i've been running four for a long time but when i when i got these uh when, when easton came out with a four millimeter long range axis i i tested the four millimeter and the three I'm sorry, I tested the three fletch and a four fletch and I, I couldn't, I couldn't even, you know, even at long range practice, uh, I, I couldn't really tell a difference. So I went with a three just for less wind drift and it's a pretty hard helical, but I'm running those, uh, silent night, two inches, two inch veins. Um, they're pretty pliable. They're not real. They're not as stiff as what I used to run. I used to run on the AAE Pro Max. Um, but they're about the same size, less, less, uh, less stiff. And, yeah, iron wheel solid uh, 125. Uh, I tried the single bevel last year. Uh, killed a bunch of stuff with them, uh, but uh, I, I, I switched back to the standard S125 just for durability reasons. That angle's not such an acute uh, degree, and I, I think I get uh, less less damage to the to the blade with it. But um, yeah, the. I, I forget what grain insert I'm using that, but I think the total total grains up front. Uh, I mean, I think I'm like a 16% uh, fox, but I think maybe a 50 grain insert and a 10 degree collar, 10 grain collar, I believe, something like that. Um, I've tried. I've, I've ran a lot more, and that you know, I've ran as much as 250 up front uh, when I had a 250 spine uh, come out of those turbos. You know, shooting like a 420 grain type arrow, but you know, you, you start getting at the low end of what I want to be for speed. You know, you, you start getting down around that 270 and uh, or even high 260s. It's like, yeah, I, I, you know, you get up, you stretch it out to 60, 70 yards now, and a couple yards makes a difference in in, in ranging. Whereas, you know, you keep it in that 450 to 470, and you know, up around 280, 285, I I feel a lot more comfortable. You know, if he takes a step or two, I'm still going to kill him. Uh, without rearranging at a, at a longer distance, but and then uh, what was your, you asked about my, my bow setup too? That you know, one of the things that people that uh, I guess don't follow some of the new stuff that came out the last few years see my bow and they're like, "What the heck is that thing coming up in front of your bow?" Uh, 
when Dan Evans first came out with the Quibalizer, you know, he came, he basically released it the same year as the, as the option sites. And I was all about that option site. Like I thought this is, this is a great idea. You, know, you can have a fixed pin, you know, a bunch of fixed pins and then, and then a, a single pin mover at the same time. And uh, so I ordered a couple of them for my bows and he sent me a Quibalizer and just said, I know it's a little, a little different. Some people might even call it goofy, but just give it a shot. You know, if you don't like it, don't, no worries. And uh, putting on my bow, I'm like, well, that looks goofy as hell. Um, and start, you know, set, tuning up the bow and getting it dialed in. And I was shooting fantastic with it. And the bow just felt good. It felt balanced. Um, and basically, you know, I, I've I've tried I've tried shooting without it. Um, and I just, you know, there's no weight penalty because you got to have a quiver anyways. And it's not, it might even be lighter than a tight spot. I'm not sure. But it's not heavy, so there's no added weight for a stabilizer. So for backpack hunting, there's there's a plus. I shoot better with it on there. The bow feels balanced fantastically. Um, and another thing, I you know, this this might sound like the most trivial thing, but when you're backpack hunting, you're, you're hiking along, and you see you see something you want to glass. You see something in the distance. You pick up your binoculars. You either you're either holding. You know, a lot of guys will will set the well, you pull up binoculars with one hand, hold the bow close to their chest, set the binoculars on top of the limb or on top of the cam or top cam, and kind of use it as their second hand. I put uh, I cover the entire hood and tip uh, of that equalizer with a uh, the loopy thick Velcro, and then I just stick that thing in the dirt, squeeze it in my thighs, and I got both hands on my my binoculars. It's way more stable. Less. Less hand fatigue. I'm not holding up a seven pound bow along with my binoculars. And I know it doesn't sound like, well, what are you wimping? I can't hold a seven pound bow. But when you, but when you stop every 20 yards, you know, or, or you're moving in on something you're, and you're stopping every two step and glassing, it makes a difference. I mean, try doing a seven pound curl 400 times in a row when you're moving in on a buck. I mean, it's going to, you know, it, 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 it's just a more stable uh, field of view. And I, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite features. And I know it sounds like something that wouldn't, shouldn't be, uh, <laughs> you know, it sounds silly, but, um, yeah, I, I stick that thing in the rocks with that belt broke around there. It's quiet and hold up my legs while I glass. And it's, I love that thing. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan. I modified mine a little bit. I cut it down a little bit, uh, shorter. So it didn't stick out quite as far. And I actually added a little bit of weight in the, the hood. Um, and I shoot the eight arrow more than, you know, anything. Um, you know, I also use the cash bar, especially when I'm backpack hunting. I like having that on there, but I also like a heavier bow. It's a little bit different setup, mm-hmm. but same, you know, concept. I think what, you know, I, I get it. It's weird. It's different. It's new, but you know, I went back and forth, uh, this year. Cause I always, the way my brain works, right. As if, you know, it, it, um, you have like hands-on experience going back and forth. You can say, Hey, yeah, in this situation, you know, it might not be as good, but it's pretty hard for me to not put equivalizer on. And I, 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 I whitetail hunted and did some, um, yeah, mostly whitetail, some spot and stock mule deer with a, a side mount quiver. And while sometimes it's, it's a little bit more out of the way, it is definitely not as accurate as the biggest problem with that mm-hmm. side quiver. Now there's some guys like Gillingham and others that kind of make fun of it that, 
Um, you know, <laughs> oh, your your bow, it's not tuned the same every area you shoot. And that's side quiver too, right? You're taking weight off the bow. Sure. The thing that I had said is like, yeah, I mean, if you do a full quiver dump, is accuracy fucking really paramount? Like the quiver's empty. <laughs> Something went wrong, right? You know, you should hit it. Yeah, right. Shot. So I do a lot of testing out my garage, you know, emptying it from you know, when I say empty in the quiver, like, you know, truly dumping eight arrows out of it at 80 to a hundred. And the only thing that I really notice is, uh, you know, the bow is a little bit lighter, the tune, you know, I can Mm -hmm. sit there and shoot arrows through the paper with dumping the arrows out. And yeah, I can't notice a difference in tune. My, I'm not holding quite as steady because obviously the bow is not quite as heavy, but yeah, but again, you know, you shoot it, you shoot some at 30 and it runs out to 80 and you're dumping the quiver, trying to put another in it. You know, you got anxiety. Fuck, it might help if you're not, you know, dead on. Because you're probably not dead on anyway. But, um, yeah, people mm-hmm. are pretty wrapped up about that. The one thing is, is funny, and, and I'm not taking anything. Like, Dan is a genius. I uh, Six months ago, Ryan Rotier asked me, he said, what would you design for a site if you are going to make the ultimate site? And I shit you not, I designed the Canyon Pounder, although I did not call it that. Um, more, more or less, you know, I said, hey, I, <laughs> I'd want my mover to be center. Um, <clears throat> I would want dual sight tapes. I listed everything off. I said, I'd copy the shit out of Dan with the pins folding forward. Lo and behold, he came out with it. And I don't know that anyone's ever going to beat that thing. I, I just don't, I don't see something better coming out. I am. Yeah. Just like you, I'm pretty dang excited to get my hands on one of them things. I, you know, so I like to practice at long range. Um, maybe occasionally I even take a shot at an animal at long range, but, uh, I will never admit that maybe, uh, possibly, but so because of that, I've used his option eight. And if you anybody's familiar with the, the option line of sites, he's got an option four, six and eight, the four and six have a round traditional housing. The eight has an oval housing. And that was because the first, the first, uh, option sites he had, uh, the, the pin, the Romer pin actually moved inside the housing it did not move with the, the housing did not move. Uh, because of that, I had an oval peep and it lined up with my oval housing. Um, I, I literally shot like, you know, if, if, if we were to, you know, throw, you know, you know Aaron says, uh, I got 500 bucks. Uh, we're going to, we're going to both shoot an arrow. You pick the distance. I'm going to 70 because at 70 right now with my option eight sight, my pin is in the middle that is almost perfectly centered. And I do shoot better there than I do, you know, at 45. I mean, it's, it's hard to say that, but I shoot better with what it comes down to. I shoot better when the pin is in the middle of the housing. And when it gets really low, like when you stretch down to 105, 110 at the bottom of the housing, as, low as, as much as I can yardage, I can get out of there with my speed. I do struggle with the fact that the pin is, you know, right above the bubble, you know, and it's, it's created anxiety in me for sure. Uh, so to see the Canyon Pounder with that pin always being centered is very uh, happy sight to see. And the dual, the dual tape is, uh, is, is something that I hadn't, I mean, that, that, that it is, it's, I still have to play with it. I think they can grasp my, my brain around it, but that's, that's kind of a, it, it, you're right. The, the man is kind of a genius. He's created a lot of cool things. The archery world, but that that Canyon Pounder is going to be uh, going to be on my bow, that my new bow that I'm setting up. Yeah, dude, I ordered three of them for all of my bows, so yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan. And with the dual sight, the way that if you want to look at it, so the way I ordered mine was a five pin, so twenty through sixty. My forty 
is the rover pin obviously in the middle so when i fold my pins out my fin pins pins that are folding out are 20 30 50 and 60 and so my you know what i would how i would set this up is i'm going to set it up to where you know my sight tape i'm actually going to sight 40 in for the most part first i'm going to work my way back mm-hmm. from my 30 my 20 back out 50 and 60 and then I'm going to figure my sight tape out for the 40 yard pin being my Rover. So it's dead, perfect, dead center in the housing, dead center in my peep. Yep. I'm going to dial that in as far as I can. What I'm going to do after that is the sight tape on the other side is going to be for my bottom pin or my 60 pin. So the sight tape, when I turn yep. the boat to me, that's going to be that. But what it is going to do is that farther pin, when I've maxed out my 40 yard pin, um, I'm going to have yeah. a sight tape for my bottom pin as well to get more yardage potentially. I don't know how many people are going to use that. It's an option though. You're mm-hmm. going to get more yardage out of it. How much more? I won't know until I really yeah. run it to ground. It may not be anything that I'm like, well, whatever it's, I've got a, you know what I mean? I may not mess with it as much, yeah. but it gives you a four, it gives you two different trick pins or rover pins. Yeah. No, it'll be uh, yeah. I look forward to playing with it and, and seeing what I what I can get out. It looks like we're going to have more more uh, distance, even with that uh, you know, with that center pin, uh, even with just the one side tape. If you just want to keep it at that, so either way, it's you know, and those things are built like tanks too. I mean, uh, I don't know what's happened to trophy takers since Dan sold it. I uh, really haven't haven't looked, um, but you know, those, those sites used to be pretty bombproof. Uh, everything he builds is you know, guy's a hell of an engineer. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and I, it's, you know, it's like everything, you know, you, uh, do iron wheels cost more? Yeah. But they're as good as I've ever found. Do option sites cost a little more? Yeah, probably. They're, but they're built like little tanks. I mean, every, every little detail he's fussed over and, you know, you know, you want something made in America that's, that's top shelf, you're going to pay a little more for it. So buckle up. Yeah, no, I mean, believe me, I understand where he's coming from because our backpacks are yeah. expensive. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. Well, cool, man. Um, we're getting close to an hour here. Why can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Uh, you know, social media, follow along with your adventures, and uh, you know, you I guess sure. you work with Rockslide as well. So, yep, yep. And then you can we can all blame you know, if you don't like my writing and my gear reviews, you can blame Aaron because he's the one that introduced me to Ryan Avery and said uh, you need to have this guy start reviewing stuff. So uh, I do write for, for Rockslide. Um, I also, just last year, I, I, I filmed my first hunt. Uh, Blake Hunter and I decided, I'll blame it on him. If you don't like don't like the, the films, you can blame it on him. He, he convinced me to start doing it. And uh, we did film one last year. I filmed, I filmed two this year. I, uh, they will be on Rockslide's YouTube channel sometime this winter slash early spring. The elk hunt, my archery elk hunt from this year will be the first one. and. It's probably, I self-filmed it. Um, I actually did get the kill shot. Hey, I lost you.
Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. I don't, I don't know if that was your phone or mine when I called you back. It was gurgled, but uh, where where we left off when it when I lost you, you had said I did get the kill shot on film. Okay. Let me just start over. Yeah, you just uh, I mean whatever. I mean Jerry will edit it, so I mean he may even leave some of this in. So okay. we had a brief disruption in our recording, everyone. Um, but you had left <laughs> off with uh, you you the videos, and you had uh, gotten a kill shot on the on film. Yeah, so I actually, yeah, because I, I did mess up in uh, my first film last year and pushed the wrong damn button. But this year in my Nevada uh, Elk, uh, film, I actually didn't screw it up. And um, there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of content there. We're, we're coming through editing and it's it's going to be a pretty cool film. And then uh, we, we also filmed The Plains Hunt again. Um, I'll pick, pick on Blake a little bit. That's going to be, uh, most of the video will be of Blake taking stocks on bucks and not killing them and then uh me screwing up with the camera again so take it for what it's worth uh it's gonna be a lot of deer a lot of big bucks uh, <laughs> not a lot of blood uh only one deer got caught, uh, killed so uh but that's yeah that'll be coming up on rock slide this this winter and i'm on instagram at uh, tony underscore treat t-r-i-e-t-c-h and yeah that's pretty much how to get a hold of me there are rock slides so Cool. Well, right on. Well, definitely, like I said, one of the more, I wouldn't say underrated because you're certainly not underrated, but more unknown. You should, you're not in the position you should be as far as people following along. So I strongly encourage to watch what uh, Tony does, his adventures and in, in hunts because um, it's weird in the world of social media, uh, 10,000 followers or whatever. 
uh, you should have a lot more than that with the things you put on the ground and, and how you do it and the way you do it. So, uh, yeah, but very impressed with everything you've got going on and, uh, yeah, can't thank you enough for the support and, uh, and the friendship. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for that, uh, Aaron. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your friendship as well. Hey, we'd be good hunting partners. Cause you're like, man, he's only 170. I'm like, fuck it. I'll kill it. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, don't want to shoot yeah. that one. Well, by coincidence I do. So yeah. Um, anyway, well, yeah, thanks. Thanks. One of these years we'll have to do it. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have yeah. to get one going for sure. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. But uh, right on, man. Well, everybody tuning in, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening, and uh, everybody have a good day. Thank you.